The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 28 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two science fiction episodes of Dimension X. We'll begin after this short break. Hosted by Norman Rose, Dimension X was one of radio's first adult science fiction series and made its mark by adapting short stories by acknowledged masters in the field, including Isaac Asimov, Robert Block, Ray Bradbury, Frederick Pohl, Robert A. Heinlein, Clifford A. Simic, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., and William Tenn. Scriptwriters Ernest Kenoy and George Lefferts, who also contributed their own original material, adapted the stories. At the start of every broadcast, host Norman Rose promised us adventures in time and space, told in future tense. You knew you were about to be transported from your everyday existence to somewhere completely different, maybe even a distant planet. Radio was a fertile medium for science fiction. It was easy to visit another planet, interact with aliens, or fly in a rocket ship simply by using your imagination. General Mills sponsored the program, promoting Wheaties for several weeks during the summer of 1950. Dimension X debuted over NBC on April 8, 1950 and completed its run September 29, 1951, including a five-month hiatus in the middle. Time now for the first of two science fiction episodes of Dimension X. In this first episode, a strange man hires a private detective to find the Martian Embassy, which is hidden somewhere in New York, and is planning a worldwide invasion. Here's the Embassy on Dimension X. Adventures in Time and Space, told in future tense. Dimension X. Out of the infinitude of stars and planets in the solar system and other systems in the universe, it is almost mathematically certain that there exist other forms of life on other worlds. Someday, in the future, in a thousand years, or in the next ten minutes, daring travelers through space will make contact with the inhabitants of another world. But the question is, will we contact them first, or will they contact us? Come in. This is Broderick's private detective agency. Check. My name is Gratius. 
Graffius of Springfield. I would like to see you, Mr. Broderick. Check. What is it, Dolan? There's a guy outside. What kind of a guy? Oh, a great big guy with a big shining head and thick glasses like the bottoms of Coca-Cola bottles. A- and he looks like a professor or what something. What I mean is, does he look like a client or a bill collector? He didn't say. Okay, Iron Man, send him in. Check. Mr. Graffius, Mr. Broderick will see you. Thank you. Mr. Broderick. In the flesh. Okay, Iron Man, step outside. Check. If you need me, I'll be outside. You'll have to excuse Mr. Doolin. He's a very useful man if you happen to want a house moved or somebody's head unscrewed from their shoulders. His reflexes aren't too good. He's what you might call underorganized. I suspected as much. All right, Mr. Graffius. Let's get down to business. Precisely. I would like your assistance in having me locate something here in New York City. Just what are you trying to locate, Mr. Graffius? The Martian Embassy. Would you say that again very slowly? I came to New York to locate the Martian Embassy. Martian? Like in Buck Rogers? Precisely. Agents of the government of the planet of Mars. Dolan! What's the trouble, boss? Throw him out. He's a crackpot. Of course, if you wish me to leave, I will leave. But before I go, you might examine this. You'll find it quite authentic. Holy mackerel. A five-century note. Let me see that. Uh, Sit down, Mr. Graffius. Sit down. Make yourself comfortable. Dolan, get Mr. Graffius a light. Check. Okay, Mr. Graffius. Your remarks about our speckled friends, the Martians, I shall ignore. This being the year 1955, I assume you were joking. On the contrary, I'm completely serious. As it happens, I'm interested only in Martians at the moment. I see. Okay, uh, shoot. It occurred to me in the course of my studies that we Earth people cannot possibly be the only intelligent form of life in the universe. Out of the infinitude of stars and planets, there must definitely, mathematically, be others. Since Mars is older geologically, and since it is also an atmospheric planet, its evolutionary history could easily be similar to ours, you follow me? So far, I can't say no. But if this is true then they must have been watching us, observing us, for hundreds, possibly thousands of years. What for, blackmail? Shut up, Dolan. They know, then, that we are not far from achieving space travel. Atomic rocket ships that can travel to other planets. They also know we are a militaristic, warlike race. We might conceivably set out to conquer and occupy Mars one day. In which case, they'd uh, try to get the jump on us. Precisely, Mr. Broderick. And how would they do that? For a civilization as old as theirs, space travel would be a simple enough matter. Flying saucers. I read about it. Relax, Iron Man. Go on, Mr. Graffius. If you were planning to attack an unknown nation, what would be your first move, Mr. Broderick? Intelligence. Find out what the odds are. You have a very logical mind, sir. He would send agents to scout the nerve centers of earthly civilization and advancement. Not in Kansas City or equatorial Africa, my dear sir, but here in New York City. The most technically advanced spot on Earth. Uh Uh-huh. 
And uh, you want me to help you prove this theory of yours. Precisely. Expense does not interest me. Well, this may take a very long, long time, Mr. Graffius. After all, nobody's ever seen a Martian. I assure you, they will be very ordinary-appearing people. Very likely they live together in downtown New York, close to the newspapers and publishers, the news cables, communication centers, and the financial center of Wall Street. Most certainly, they live in a private house with no servants to pry into their affairs. Some ordinary people who live in a private house in downtown New York. Yes. I might just as well look up Martians in the classified section of the phone book. <laughs> there is one other lead which might help you. What's that? They would be almost certain to subscribe to every conceivable type of newspaper, scientific journal, foreign language publication. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be something. Okay, Mr. Graffius. It's a deal. Excellent. I shall contact you tomorrow. Oh, uh, before you leave. Yes? Just as a matter of interest. Why are you so interested in meeting up with these Martians? Mr. Broderick, I wish to avert the catastrophe of a successful Martian invasion of the Earth. Naturally. I cannot go to the police or the military. I'd be laughed out of existence. So I'm doing this privately. Seem to know all the answers, Mr. Graffius. Not all of them, Mr. Broderick. Not quite all the answers. Not quite yet. Hey, boss. Here's a private address. Takes everything from Pick Magazine to the Manchester Guardian. Listen to this. Pick, look, Scientific America, the Daily News, the Daily Worker, the Police Gazette, the Journal of Engineering, Scientific Quarterly, American Psychiatric Journal. Let me see that. Oh, Dolan. Dolan, sometimes I wonder. What's the address on this? 9 West 124th Street. Which happens to be the Harlem branch of the public library. Oh. Now listen, Noodle Brain. Check all the renting agents. Find out every private house in downtown New York. And then cross-check with the magazine subscription departments of the scientific magazines. You got that? Check. I wonder. Boss, what's the sense of all this? We know there ain't no Martian embassy in New York. This crackpot is paying us $100 a day and we got to keep him happy. You understand? Yeah. Also, I've got a hunch that Mr. Graffius isn't looking for any Martian embassies. He's looking for something quite different. I'll start making with a telephone. Which house is it, Dolan? Right down there. Number 108. Did you find out anything? Not a thing. I've been watching the place for a week now. Nobody comes out, nobody goes in. I asked around. Nobody knows nothing. You ain't been blabbing around the neighborhood that we're looking for the Martian embassy, have you? Boss, uh, I'm stupid. But I ain't that stupid. Who'd you talk to? I struck up what you might call a casual acquaintanceship with those two girls standing with the baby carriages up the street. The cute one is real cute. Mm. Now look, Doolin. Don't try to do anything intelligent. Just keep walking up and down. See? Check. I'm going back to the office to meet Graffius. See you later, boss.
beautiful. Tired, Flatfoot. How did you know I was a detective? Your socks are bagging at the arches. <laughs> <laughs> well, stick around, beautiful. I'll be back in a few minutes, and we can make some beautiful music together. <laughs> Listen to Romeo, Helen. The name is Dolan, honey. Iron Man Dolan. Your line is getting rusty, Iron Man. What do you want to fool around with him for? He reminds me of my husband. The big, good-natured slob. Helen. Helen, look. Oh, hey, Dolan! Not at all. Uh, Doolin found a house down in Greenwich Village, privately rented. Number 108 Conklin Street. Nobody seems to know anything about who lives there, except that they subscribe to every paper and scientific journal put out. And also they have a peculiar antenna on the roof. You don't suppose your Mr. Doolin will try to get inside the house? No, he knows better. Mr. Broderick, I assure you, if that place is the Martian embassy... Doolin can take care of himself. Still, I wish you had informed me before. Well, that's probably him reporting back now. Excuse me. Hello. Yeah, speaking. Doolin? Yeah, he works. What? Oh, no. No, I can't think of any. Yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, I'll be right down. Okay, Lieutenant. Yeah, yeah, right away. Something the matter? Doolin is dead, Mr. Graffius. What? They found him splattered all over the sidewalk in front of number 108 Conklin Street. How? How did it happen? There were some witnesses. They said a building cornice dropped on him. The cornice? But how? It fell off the building next to 108, right on top of him. Come on, we can get a cab. I have to identify the body. I'm Broderick. Oh, well, there's your boy, Broderick. Not very pretty. Oh, mother in heaven. That's a thousand-pound hunk of concrete. Where did it come from? Dropped off the roof of 106. Anybody see it? Yes, a couple of maids pushing baby carriages. One was so shaken, we had to send her to the hospital. The other one is hysterical, but she can talk. Can't seem to get any sense out of her, though. Do you mind if I talk to her? Not at all. I'll be back in a minute, Graffius. I'll wait here. She's standing right over there with the patrolman on the beat. Uh, oh, Hanson. Yes, sir? This guy wants a few questions with the girl. Please. Please, I told you what I saw. How many times I gotta tell you? Yes, the dead man was a personal friend of mine. Would you tell me what happened, please? <laughs> Helen and I were standing in front of Rathman's candy store up on the corner. We both had the babies up. I worked for Mrs. Gillian on Washington Square North. This... He, he said hello and joked a little. Then he walked down the street just like he's been doing all week. Hadn't taken more than a few steps. But, but... Please, miss. Oh, it's I, very important. I tell him, but they don't believe me. What do you tell him? How it happened. Tell me. It's too awful. Please. Well, well first he... Squashed. And then the stone fell on it. What do you mean, he squashed? They don't believe me, but Helen saw it, too. She saw what? First, he 
on him. He was smashed flat before it even hit him. Now, look, that's the story, Broderick. Please, please let me alone. Let me go home. I told you what I saw. Now, let me alone. Let me alone. Did you learn anything, Mr. Broderick? Huh? I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. It's crazy. Mr. Broderick, if I may make a suggestion at this point, perhaps it would be better if we dropped the entire matter. What's eating you? First you come at me with a chain of nonsense that you're staking real cash on. And now when we hit solid trail, you want to call off the dogs. Well, maybe you operate that way, but Broderick doesn't. May I ask, then, what do you intend doing? As soon as the cops clear out and this place quiets down, I'm going to pay a personal call on the Martian embassy. Whatever number 108 is. <laughs> Ten fingers, and I'll drill you like a platoon of rookies. Yes? Oh. Well, young man. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. Is the lady of the house at home? I'm the lady of the house. Well, uh, my name is Broderick. Uh, I represent the Manhattan Child Adoption Center. We're soliciting funds and clothing for stranded and unadopted children. I wondered oh, if... Oh, won't you come inside? Well, we don't usually... Oh, nonsense. I'm old enough to be your grandmother. Besides, my son, Lauren, is working at home. Your son? He's a bibliographer. He writes summaries of articles and books from scientific journals and publications for libraries and universities. I see. Well, sit down, Mr. Broderick. We get so few calls, and I do like to visit. Oh, thank you. <sighs> now... What was it you wanted to talk to us about? Oh, well, uh, I, uh, I wondered if you or your son, there's nobody else living here. No, just Lauren and I. I'll have to ask him about the contribution, but I'm sure he'd like to. Good. Uh, thank you very much. I'll send a representative to collect. Oh, please, stay a moment. I was just about to have tea. Let me pour you a cup. Oh, no, thanks, really. Uh... No, young man, I insist. Well, thank you. <laughs> I was getting awfully tired of having tea by myself every afternoon. You know, I'm not very much of a tea drinker, but this seems to have a strange taste. It's my own recipe. The secret is in the brewing. That's sweet. It almost metallic. It takes a few sips to get used to, like olives. Uh-huh. Well, uh... I think I'd better be running along. Oh, but you haven't finished your tea, Mr. Broderick. I'd better be going. I'm late. Oh, you're not being very polite. Do finish your tea. No, really, I feel funny. Oh, I'll call Lauren. No, no, I'm leaving. I feel dizzy. Oh, I'm sure Lauren can help you. I'll call him. Oh, no, don't oh, bother. But I must. Besides, you aren't well. Gee. Lauren! Get out. Lauren, Lauren, hurry. I got it out of my way. No, you must stay. Yes, Mother. Drug my tea. Let go of my arm. Lauren! Let go! Oh. Gotta get out of here! Evan. The other one said, Broderick, he was here. I drugged his tea. He got away. Fool, idiot. Go after him. Use the pressure ray. Risk another murder on our doorstep. Are you insane? But he suspects. We'll have to take our chances. We'll have to think of some other way. How did they find us? I don't know how, but I'm certain someone else sent them. Who? I don't know. I'm afraid to let myself think. It might be them. 
Watch where you're going, you drunken fool. Please, I... Get away I... from me. Uh, stay awake. Look out. Miss, please. Let go of me. I... Help. Please. Help, officer. You don't understand. What's the trouble here? This drunkard is insulting people. I saw him come out of that house there. 108? That's the one. He bumped into a gentleman, and then he pulled at my arm. All right, miss. I'll take care of him. Come along, mister. I'm going to give you a break and take you back to the wife and kids. No, no, you can't. I'm sick. Sick, is it? What's the matter? Drugged. They drugged me. Who drugged you? Number 108. Martians. Who? Martians. Number 108. It's a Martian embassy. Well, I've seen them with pink elephants, rabbits, and mice, but you're the first one who's got Martians. That's true, I tell you. Uh-huh. Come along. Now, listen, listen. Don't what? take me back there. Don't Come kill on. me. Chuck, i got to make you understand. Here, here, I'll help Look, you up the steps. Please, my name is Broderick. I'm a private dick. We'll find out about this. Here, yeah. don't try any tricks. Stop it, sir. Please listen. I'll give you anything. I'll give you a thousand dollars. Please listen. For God's sake, listen. Listen. Yes, officer. <laughs> Why, Broderick. You know this lush granny? Why, that's my son, Broderick. No, no, Martian. He's in pretty bad shape. Better get him to bed. Oh, dear. He was doing so well at the Alcoholic Society. He must have gotten off again. Looks like he's ready to pass out. Lauren! Lauren! What is it, Mother? Oh. Your brother, Broderick, has been drinking again. Look out! He's passed out. I'll take care of him, officer. We've handled this sort of thing before. Can you manage okay? We'll be fine, thank you. You've been very kind, officer. Oh, nothing at all, Granny. I know how it is with these alkies. Well, I'll be seeing you. Mr. Broderick is regaining consciousness, what? Mother. What happened? Oh, I can't get up. Do not struggle, Mr. Broderick. It'll be impossible for you to rise from that chair. The pressure from this ray will keep you there. Ray? What? Who are you? You've already guessed, Mr. Broderick. You mean this really is the... Martian Embassy, yes. You have the honor to be the first prisoner of the Imperial Government of Mars. First... Prisoner? Yes. After the invasion, of course, you will all be our prisoners. Hey, look. What sort of a business is this? No business, Mr. Broderick. As your people will soon find out, our preparations for invasion are nearly completed now. As soon as we give the signal, our armed forces will launch a surprise attack. And then the Earth will be ours. You're crazy. Not half as mad as you, Mr. Broderick, to come muddling so foolishly into our affairs. That was a fatal mistake. Sad. Doolin's death was no accident, then. Assuredly not. We found it necessary to use a pressure ray on your friend. The block of concrete was an afterthought. We thought it might help to avert suspicion. All right. What happens now? If you cooperate, you can look forward to a quick, painless death like your friend, Mr. Doolin. If not? This pressure ray has many delicate adjustments. It can move a pin, or it can crush a boulder. Let me demonstrate. You see, Mr. Broderick, as if an invisible vice were crushing you. What do you want? 
the name of your client. We are interested in knowing who is so anxious to locate the Martian embassy. The names of my clients are confidential. Oh, well. All right, all right. Turn it off, Mother. Mr. Broderick has seen the wisdom of speech. His name is Graphius. Graphius? Yeah. An unusual name for an Earthman. Describe him. Well, I don't know if I really can. Mother. Describe him. He's tall. Got a big forehead and about 60. He wears thick glasses. He's bald. Lawrence, sounds like one of them. Yes, it does. Contact the planet. Tell them we suspect that our plans are known. Ask for an acceleration of invasion day. At once. What about me? I am sorry, Mr. Broderick, but I am afraid you know too much now. In exactly five seconds, you will feel the full impact of the ray which faces you. I would suggest that you relax and meet your fate calmly. Now, wait a minute. You will feel no pain, just a wall of force engulfing you. Listen, I... Five. No, you can't do this. It isn't human. I know, but we are not human. Three. Yeah, but... Two. No. One. Mother in heaven. Now. Lauren. It didn't work. Something's happened. The magnetic field is dead. Get it working. We've got to get rid of this one. Now, listen. Listen, you... Quiet. I can't understand what's gone wrong with the ray. Why would it suddenly stop like that? Perhaps I can explain. What? Graphius! It's you! Yes. Lauren! Stand back from the pressure ray, please. It will not function anyway. I have decontrolled your field. Lauren, it's one of them. They found us. Did you think we wouldn't? I trust you have not harmed my friend, Mr. Broderick. He's been very useful to me. Brother, am I very glad to see you. Talk about the Marines landing in the nick of time. You're free to move now, Mr. Broderick. I don't know how you got in here, Graphius, but stick around. These babies are really Martians, just like you said. They're planning to invade the Earth and take over. There will be no Martian invasion. You keep these characters covered. I'll get the police. There will be no need for the police. I intend to handle them myself. Yeah, but the police will... Do wanna... not call the police. Why not? You fool of an Earthling. Don't you realize with whom you are dealing... The invasion of Earth by Mars will be like child's plague compared... Lauren! Holy mackerel. They just flattened out. Like your friend, Mr. Doolan. I detest the use of violence where the intellect can rule. But unfortunately, the Martians are a threat to us. It must be destroyed. I believe you now. Another five seconds, they'd have finished me. I'm glad you didn't waste any time. There is little time to waste. The Martian invasion was to have taken place next week. Yeah, I... Hey. They never said that. How do you know? You would not comprehend. Wait a minute. There are some things here I do understand. A second ago, that pressure ray didn't work. Now you're using it like it was a toy. How did you get in here anyway? Who are you? Another one of those Martians? No, Mr. Broderick. I happen to be a Venusian. What? A representative of the planet Venus. Venus? That's impossible. Not at all. The Martians are really an inferior race. We Venusians are much farther advanced. As much as we are over you, Mr. Broderick, the Martians would simply have conquered and enslaved your people. We Venusians felt compelled to exterminate you completely. 
That's impossible. Oh, no. Now that we have disposed of the Martian threat, what is there to stop us? Our invasion begins tomorrow at noon. By nightfall, the Earth will be ours. Mother in heaven. Either I'm completely cuckoo or... Oh. Oh, all this is really on the level. You needn't edge toward the door, Mr. Broderick. You're thinking of running for help, aren't you now? I can read your thoughts quite clearly. Suppose you're going to knock me off like our Martian friends. On the contrary. Go ahead. Leave? Why not? Why don't you try it, Mr. Broderick? Because the minute I turn my back, you're going to let me have it. Suppose you try it and see. I have no interest in stopping you. Go ahead. All right, Buster, you ask for it. It will do you no good. No good! You will see! Here, here, where do you think you're running to? Hey, officer, officer, listen to me. Oh, it's you, the one with the marsh. Yeah, that's right. Now, listen, that story is true. They're inside that house, inside number 108. He killed them. Who killed them? Raphius. He's the leader of the Venusian invasion. Venusian invasion? That's right. Tomorrow at noon, they're going to take over the earth. Now, listen, go in that house. Martians, now Venusians, eh? Okay, that's enough for me. Come along. Good, good. We haven't got much time. Hey, wait. Where are you taking me? Bellevue Psychiatric Ward, my friend. Come Bellevue, on. Bellevue, no! No, come along. No, why don't you listen to me? Why are you such a fool? Let go of me. Here, Looney is a bed bug. Come no! on. I tell you, there's going to be an invasion. The Venusians are going to invade us. Don't you understand? you got to believe me. you got to believe oh, me. Oh, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> oh. Why don't they listen? Why don't they believe me? You have just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. Next week, the story of Riesling, the strange blind singer of the spaceways. He traveled the space lines from Mars to Venus to the moons of Jupiter. No captain could refuse to carry Riesling and his battered guitar. He sang of all the wonders of the galaxy. But his greatest song was of the sight he would never see. The green hills of Earth. Dimension X has presented The Embassy, a story by Donald A. Walheim, as adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Joseph Julian was heard as Broderick, Barry Kroger as Graphius. Your narrator was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman, engineer Don Abbott. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. Tomorrow, hear High Adventure. Now it's Truth or Consequences on NBC.
And that's Dimension X, with The Embassy, starring Joseph Julian, from June 3, 1950, as heard on NBC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another sci-fi episode of Dimension X for you after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, a planet on the edge of our galaxy hasn't had a sunset in the last 2,049 years until now. Here's Nightfall on Dimension X. Adventures in Time and Space Transcribed in Future Tense Dimension X The National Broadcasting Company In cooperation with Street and Smith Publishers of Astounding Science Fiction Bring you Dimension X. Ralph Waldo Emerson speculated if the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would man believe and adore and perceive for many generations the remembrance of the city of God? Now, this was philosophically interesting. But on the edge of the galaxy, there is a planet which swings on its orbit in a cluster of six suns. These suns hang in the sky above. Never less than two shine down through the entire 23.8 hours of the planet's day. The yellow light has burned down on the planet continuously into the past, till the mind of man runneth not to the contrary. Theremin was a reporter for the Cerro City Chronicle. He covered them all, from the night police beat to politics to the sports pages. And the city editor wanted him to cover the biggest story of the year, perhaps of all time. It was an interview, a particularly difficult interview. But then, since his first days as a cub, Theremin had specialized in difficult interviews. He didn't expect violence, though, from an astronomer. You're from that newspaper? Well, you've got a lot of gall coming here. Now, wait a minute, Dr. Atton. It's only a job. I've read your paper. You've been riding this observatory for two months now. You've attacked me personally. I have nothing to say to you. All right, look, this is your chance to get your side in the paper. I'll give it to you straight. Two months ago, the observatory issued a press statement that the world was coming to an end. Now, that's the same story that the cult of revelations has been preaching. And when a scientist backs that up... It's news. Our conclusions have nothing to do with the cult. 
The cult of revelations is full of superstition and mysticism. We are scientists. Yeah. And you got the people pretty angry. That does not matter. <laughs> you know, if I can't get the story from you, I'll have to go somewhere else. Go ahead. All right. You know, Dr. Raton, the paper can be pretty rough on someone who doesn't cooperate. Young man, if you're not out of the observatory within five minutes, I shall call the police. Now get out. The reporter walks down the long hall from the observatory. The light filters through the high windows, the yellow light of gamma the brightest of the six suns in the planet's sky. Beta is almost at zenith. Its red light floods the landscape to an unusual orange. The planet's sun, Alpha, is at the antipodes. And now as Gamma sinks below the horizon, the red dwarf sun, Beta, is alone, grimly alone. It's a short drive from the observatory to Cerro City, and the red light glares from the highway. The temple of the cult stands, hewn from the solid rock of the Dormite Mountains, outside the city. And in the inner courtyard stands Sor, the priest of the cult. Woe to the unbelievers! Their souls will rot for the absence of light. Sor! Sor, wait! Your reverence, please! Please. Tell me, Your reverence, what will happen? What are you waiting for here? The day, the day of the coming, is written in our doctrine of revelations. It came to pass that the sun, Beta, was alone in the sky. The world was shrunken and cold. Men did assemble in the public squares and highways. Their minds were troubled and their speech confused, for the souls of men awaited the coming of the stars. The lip of the cave of darkness passed the edge of Beta, and loud were the cries of men. There was no light on the surface of the world. In this blackness there appeared the stars in countless numbers. In that moment the souls of men departed from them, and abandoned bodies became even as beasts. The stars then reached down the heavens flame. And where it touched, the cities of the world flamed to destruction. So that of man and all the works of man not remained. So it is written. Dr. Sharon, you're the only scientist I could find in the city. Where is everybody? In the hideout. In the hideout? The place bored me. I wanted to be out here where things are getting hot. I want to see the stars the cultists are talking about. Besides, they don't want me at the hideout. I'm too scrawny to survive. Well, wait a minute. What is the hideout? Well, we professors have managed to convince a few people that our prophecy of doom is valid. We've got about 3,000 people. They're supposed to hide where the darkness of the stars can't get at them. We hope they'll survive and leave records. Survive? Survive what? Oh, there are lots of names for it. The cultists have their myths. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What about that? What is there to these myths? 
As a matter of fact, what is there to this, this doctrine of revelation? I'm a psychologist, not an archaeologist. How true it is, I don't know. But the cultists say that every 2,050 years, all the suns disappear, and there is a total darkness. And then they say things appear called stars. Of course, men go mad. They mix all this up with a lot of religio-mystic notions, but that is the central idea. Yeah. Well, that's impossible, isn't it? I mean, there, there are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time four or five. There are not now, only beta. Dr. Sharon, you mean that there's going to be worldwide darkness tomorrow? That all mankind will go violently insane? What, what's behind that? Well, for one thing, this is history of civilization of the world. We've located a series of cycles of civilizations comparable to our own. All of which, without exception, were destroyed by fire at the very height of their culture. All right, all right. But is there any scientific theory behind this and that, that would explain it? The University Observatory finished their calculations two months ago. Tomorrow there will be an eclipse of beta so that the planet will become dark. That eclipse comes every 2,049 years. Darkness comes. Maybe those mysterious stars that no man has ever seen. And then, madness and the end of civilization. I see. And the scientists expect to live through this at the hideout. They huh? plan to photograph the eclipse and leave the records, and then the rest of mankind will know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sharon, what is there in darkness to drive men mad? Have you ever experienced darkness, young man? No, no, but I know what it is. It's just... Well, no light. Draw the curtain. Well, what for? If we had four or five suns out there, we might want to cut the light down for comfort, but with only beta... That is the point. Just draw the curtain and then come here and sit down. All right. What? Dr. Sharon, I can't see you. Feel your way. Yeah, but I can't see. I can't see anything. Do you like it? Well... No, no, it's awful. The walls. They seem to be closing in on me. I want to keep pushing them away. All right. Draw the curtain back again. The light. The light. Dr. Sherini, have you got a drink? Right here. That was just a dark room. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really so bad. You're afraid. Yes, I am. Just darkness can do that? This isn't just a metaphysical theory, young man. It's promulgated from observed data. Come with me. Where? The locked ward down the corridor. All right. Were you at the Saro City Centennial Exposition two years ago? No, I was overseas on assignment. You remember hearing about the tunnel of mystery that broke all records in the amusement area? Yeah. yeah. Wasn't there some fuss about it? The Anti-Vice Society had it shut down? It was shut down, all right, but the Blue Noses had nothing to do with it. Oh? That tunnel was nothing but a mile-long passage through darkness. You rode in a little car, and it took 15 minutes to get through. Very popular while it lasted. Popular? There's a fascination 
in being frightened when it's part of a game. Absence of light is one of the instinctive human fears. People came out of that 15 minutes of darkness shaking and half dead with fear. Half dead? I thought there were some deaths. Bad hearts, but that wasn't the big danger. Now, which key is this? Ah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Dr. Sharon. Where are we going? You'll see. No, the heart attacks were actually good for business, but there was something else. Here, I'll show you. I want you to see somebody. Latimer. Latimer. Go away. Latimer, I want you to meet somebody. This is Mr. Theremin. No. No, go away. Hello. He's pushing me. Make him stop pushing me. Go away. I'm not touching him. What's wrong? Latimer is afraid. The walls. They're falling in on me. The walls are... I've got to get out. Let me out. You can't go out, Latimer. It's all right. I've got to get out. Let me out. Let me out. <laughs> At sleeping period, we have to give him a shot of morphine. Otherwise, he'd bat his brains out against the wall. Well, what's wrong with him? Nothing. Nothing but 15 minutes in the darkness of the tunnel of mystery. Oh, doctor, that's impossible. One person out of ten came out of the tunnel that way. That's why we had to shut it down. Well, why? Why should darkness do that? It's obvious man cannot exist without light. Longer periods of darkness would obviously be fatal. The scientific theory is that the consciousness of light is necessary for mental activity. Please, please, doctor, let me outside. Let me outside. Please, I can't breathe. They're pushing me. They're always pushing me. I can't stand them. I can't stand them. <laughs> there you are, Theremin. That's what 15 minutes of darkness will do. Man just wasn't built to operate without light. There are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time more. Yeah. Just 15 minutes of darkness. Now then, look out of that window. Imagine darkness everywhere. No light as far as you can see. Black. Everything black. And the stars, whatever they are, well, can you conceive it? Your mind wasn't built for that conception. When the real thing comes, you'll go mad completely and permanently. There's no question of it. Tomorrow, there won't be a city left standing in the world. But why, Doctor? Why should the cities be destroyed? If you were in darkness, what would you want more than anything else? What would it be that every instinct would call for light? And how would you get light? I don't know. You'd burn something. And every city in the world will go up in flames. Shall we go back to my office, Mr. Theremin, and have another drink? Through the skies, the red sun beta shines alone. The wind howls across the city. It's cold, colder than man can remember. As the hour approaches, the reporter goes out and speaks to the man in the street. Uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, but I'm from the Chronicle. I'd like to talk to you. Ah, a reporter, huh? That's right. Uh, my name is Pallet. Two L's. Remember the two L's. Uh, all right. Uh, Mr. Pallet, what's your occupation? Power technician at the North Division plant. Uh -huh. You're making some kind of a survey, huh? Yeah, yeah, in a way. Where are you going now? Home for supper. Well, how about... Uh... Well, what I mean is, what, what are you going to do tonight? 
<laughs> you mean about this star stuff? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, mister. It don't stand to reason that the end of the world is gonna come boom like that. It, it just don't stand to reason. In other words, you don't believe it. I didn't say that, but it just don't stand to reason. Uh-huh. Have you read what the scientists say? I don't read stuff like that. Only the headlines. Yeah. How about the cult? Well, now, like I always say, I, I've got nothing against religion. You don't believe them either? Well, they've always been shouting about doom and sin. Listen, bud, when you've been around as long as I have, you get to know the score. It's all right to preach that judgment day is coming and all, but just the same, I'm putting money in the bank. Uh-huh. Well, tell me, how about, uh... How about darkness? About what? How would you feel if there was no light? <laughs> you crazy? How could there be no light? Well, now, suppose, suppose all the suns went down at once. Suppose everything was black. Well, it's crazy. What's the use of supposing something like that? It couldn't happen. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's all. Thank you. Sure. Uh, look, mister, remember, pilot with two L's? <laughs> Excuse me, sir, but I represent the Chronicle, and we're conducting a poll to determine public opinion with regard to the predicted end of the world. How do you feel about it? All this talk of scientific explanation. It's sinful. That's what it is. Oh, I see. Well, then you're a member of the cult, sir. I sure am. Been a member since I was a boy. My daddy was a member, too. I've seen the books. It's all written down in the books. Well, don't you believe the scientist's explanation? Don't need it. Going to save my immortal soul. Going to stay on the mountaintop in a white robe while the stars carry me away to glory. Blessed be the stars. Amen. Well, tell me, what are the stars? The glory. The breath of the heaven. The spirit of the ultimate. That's what they are. Uh-huh. Well, sir, the observatory has announced that it intends to take pictures of these stars. Blasphemy! I sold my house, gave all my money to the poor. Won't need it anymore. Going to heaven with stars. Glory, glory, going with the stars. Porter checks the stock exchange, the stores. Business at a standstill. Doesn't pay to buy anything today, not if the world's going to end tomorrow. There are predictions of economic collapse in the financial section, layoffs at the factories on the edge of the city. And through the streets, the people mill and turn, unsure, crying in fear or shouting with bravado. But the story isn't here in the city. And so as the hour approaches, the reporter goes again to the observatory, high in the hills. Now look, Dr. Raton, if you are right, if the world is going to be destroyed, what's the difference if I stay here and observe and take notes? Well, nothing, I suppose, but you'll be in the way. We have work to do. All right, if I stay out of the way. I can't be bothered with you. You'll have to leave, Mr. Thurman. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello, Dr. Sharon. Yeah, this place is like a morgue. It's freezing outside. The wind is enough to hang icicles on your nose. Beta doesn't seem to give any heat at all. It's so far away. Why aren't you in the hideout, Sharon? Me? I'm part of the race that isn't worth perpetuating. Who's got a bottle? There will be no alcohol today. It would be too easy to get my men drunk. I can't afford to tempt them. Well, all right, Thurman, you can stay, but keep out of the way. Well, thank you, Doctor. Well, gentlemen, I think it's time we took our positions. The observatory dome is up these stairs. Yes, sir, after you, Doctor. 
What's Up that? The dome, quick. Oh, what is it? The plate. The photographic plates, they're all smashed. <laughs> there he is. A cultist. He's going to the telescope. After him. I've got him. This one must be destroyed. It must be. It's all right. It's all right. He didn't harm anything. Let him up. Well, that's the high priest, Dr. Radon. Sore is his name. I was talking to him yesterday. What do you want, Sore? Nothing that you would give me of your own free will. I made a bargain with the cult to give me certain data you had. In return, I promised to prove the essential truth of the creed. There was no need to prove that. Stands proved by the doctrine of revelations. I offered scientific backing for you believers. You made of the darkness and the stars a natural phenomenon, removed all its real significance. That was blasphemy. The facts exist. Your facts are a fraud and a delusion. How do you know? I know. I suppose you think in trying to warn the world against the menace of madness, we are placing souls in jeopardy. Well, we have not succeeded, if that makes you feel better. Your devilish instruments must be destroyed. We obey the will of the stars. Someone call the police in Cerro City. There's no time for that. Let me handle this. The eclipse is only a few minutes away. Look, Saw, will you give your word of honor to cause no trouble? I will not. Listen, just as soon as the eclipse starts, we're going to take you and put you in a closet with the door closed, and you'll stay there. Then you won't see the darkness, and you won't see the stars. And that means the loss of your immortal soul, according to the cult. All right now, will you give your word of honor? You have it. You will all be damned for your deeds of today. Look! Cameras! Yes, sir. Check the exposures carefully. We will, sir. You're shaking, Mr. Theremin. Well, I don't feel very well, that's all. You're not losing your nerve? No, no, I'm just not used to this. You could probably make the hideout. Now look, I've been assigned to cover a story and intend to cover it. Professional honor? Yeah. I'd give my right arm for a bottle right now. I need a drink. No, 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 no. What's that? The cultist. That's the doctrine of revelations. I don't understand it. He's chanting some old cycle language. The doctrine of revelations was originally written in it. There are probably two million people in Saro City who are trying to join the cult. One gigantic revival. Dr. Sharon, how do the cultists manage to... Keep the doctrine of revelations going from cycle to cycle. If everyone goes mad, who wrote this doctrine? There are some people who don't see the stars, the blind. They would have memories, and that, combined with the confused, incoherent babbling of the mad, form the basis for the doctrine of revelations. The cult will be riding high down there in the city. I hope they make the most of it. Dr. Sharon. Dr. Sharon. I've just heard from hideout on private line. They're in trouble? They are safe. But the city is in shambles. You have no idea. Get worse. What are you shaking about, Doctor? <laughs> How do you feel? I don't understand. The cultists are rousing the people to storm the observatory, promising them salvation, promising them anything. How long till the total eclipse? An hour. I'm going to check those cameras. It's a gamble. It'll take time to get a mob out here. If the darkness comes first, we're all right. Look at Beta. Yeah. It's cut in half. It's getting darker. An interesting phenomenon. My collar's suddenly tight. Are you having any difficulty in breathing? No. Why? Difficulty in breathing is one of the first symptoms we've experimented. I'm cold. It seems to be getting colder. We'd better keep our minds on something else. Yeah. 
One of the astronomers has a theory about the stars. He thinks they may be suns that are too far away to see in, in the light. He developed a fantasy about a planet revolving around one sun. It's a mathematical possibility. Of course, there couldn't be any life. Part of the planet would always be dark and without light. Well, it's obvious. Without light, there can't be any life. It's time for the artificial light. We can't read the instruments. Artificial light? One of the researchers in the university worked it out. It's animal grease packed around a wick. Here, I light it with this spark. Why, it's beautiful. Yellow light. After four hours of red. It's beautiful. Light. Light. The dome is quiet. The priest in his yellow robe sways slowly as his lips move in the ancient tongue. Over and over he whispers the invocation to the stars. The technicians hunch over the instruments. And the sky gradually turns a horrible deep purple red. The air grows denser. Dusk, like a palpable entity, enters the room. The dancing circle of yellow light about the torches etches itself into ever sharper distinction against the ever-gathering grayness beyond. Outside, Beta is a mere smoldering splendor, taking a last look at the world. The western horizon in the direction of the city is lost in darkness, and along the highway to the observatory surges a menacing, shadowy mass. The mob from the city, they're coming. How long till total eclipse? Fifteen minutes. That mob will be here in five. We'll hold them off. Come on, Thurman, downstairs. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's no light down there. We have to block the door. Come on. I can't. I can't breathe. I can't go down there. Take a torch. We'll take light with us. Come on. Atten! Atten! I'm here. Did you bar the door? They won't get in. All right now, everybody. One minute till totality. One minute. Just before totality, I'm changing the plate. That will leave one of you for each camera. Now remember, if you feel yourself going, get away from the camera. It's dark. It's getting dark. Sharon? Sharon, where are you? I can't see you. I'm Sharon. right here. 30 seconds. Ah! Look out, the priest. I can't see him. And the wicked shall perish. And the souls of the true believers shall be transported in glory to the stars. You can see him against the torch. Don't let him get to the telescope. From the stars there reached down a heavenly flame. And where it touched, the cities of the world flamed to utter destruction. Grab him, grab him. I'll take care of him. The world must be destroyed by the stars. I got him, I got him. Five seconds to totality. Four... Three, two, one. The sky is black, and through it shine the stars. 30,000 minute suns shine down in soul-searing splendor. It's more frightening in its awful indifference 
than the bitter wind that shivers across the horrible, cold, bleak world. The stars. The stars! The stars! The walls! The walls are coming in on me! They're coming in! Light! Light! Darkness! Forever and ever and ever, and the walls are breaking in! We did not know! We did not know! We did not know! On the horizon in the direction of the city, a crimson glow begins growing. A thousand fires strengthen in brightness that is not the glow of the sun. A million fires as a world mad in the darkness screams in terror for the light. The night has come again. You have just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. With this program, Dimension X concludes the present series. We hope to return to the air in the near future. Watch your local newspaper and listen to your local station for the resumption of the series. Dimension X is presented transcribed each week by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of the magazine Astounding Science Fiction. Today, Dimension X has presented Nightfall, written for radio by Ernest Kinoy from the story by Isaac Asimov. Featured in the cast were Lyle Sudrow as the reporter, Cameron Prudhomme as the astronomer, and John McGovern as the psychologist. Your host, Norman Rose... Music by Bert Behrman. Dimension X is produced by William Welch and directed by Fred Way. And that's Dimension X with Nightfall, starring Cameron Prudhomme from September 29, 1951, as heard on NBC. Stick around, I'll have our lineup for episode 29 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 29 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two detective adventures of Michael Shane, starring Jeff Chandler. So don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>